You're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Uznick, brought to you by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world today, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Uznick. Today's guest is Stephanie Gripney. She is an awesome leader in the impact investing space. Stephanie is an academic entrepreneur. She has her PhD. She's a doctor. She's an impact investor, researcher, educator, and the creative force behind the Impact Finance Center, which we're going to talk about today, as well as Impact Investing Institute, Investors Clubs, Impact Investing, Giving Circles, and Who's Who in Impact Investing. And she is the vision that helps catalyze the National Impact Investing's marketplace to catalyze up to a $1 trillion goal of investment. Welcome to the Caring Economy, Stephanie Gripney. Thank you, Tavi. It's so great to be with you. Stephanie, you've, gone, you've, gone a, you've done a lot in your young career. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your trajectory, where you grew up, how you got the, the impact investing or the, the sort of caring impulse, and uh, how you got where you got? I love that question. Um, I'm sitting here um, in Denver, Colorado, and uh, that's where my, my about eight minutes from where my mom grew up. Um, my parents passed pretty young in their life, 56 to 58 years of age, and they actually ran away from their parents. So they left Colorado and I was born in Port Angeles, Washington, a small town. Mm -hmm. on the in the northwestern uh, part of the United States and it was a little too far from Colorado so they wanted to be a little closer to home but not too close and so they landed in Idaho and so I think of uh, where I grew up as a small town Haley Idaho in the mountains um, outside of Sun Valley Idaho and uh, the the impulse for me to care about my community came from growing up in that small town and my parents for sure. Hmm. And did you did you learn from your parents getting you involved in, I don't know, volunteering in a soup kitchen or did you, did you just uh, through uh, communities of faith or mentors that you had in your early life? How, how was your first experiences in sort of caring about someone other than yourself? That's a really interesting question. I'll have to think about that a little bit. When I, when I look back at um, the first thing that I thought of uh, when you said that was, we would get big snowstorms. I, I sometimes would grow up with five or six feet of snow. And, and um, so that was something we would always do. Everybody in the small town would help shovel everybody out of the snow. And I was uh, president of uh, National Honor Society. Um, but when I really think back at it, um, and I looked at when my mom had pancreatic cancer uh, over and she lived for about 13 months after her diagnosis, there were different groups of people that showed up um, to support mm -hmm. my sister and me at that time. And one was our, our, our little Lutheran church group. Mm -hmm. And one part was uh, the school district and one part was the dietitians um, in mm -hmm. that small town. And then it was really that, that little Lutheran church group that showed up. And, and so I think of um, it was a, definitely a combination of growing up in a small town and, and it was just the ethics and responsibility that everybody took care of one another. Mm -hmm. I, I like that multifaceted approach. I think that we all share a role in caring for each other and that collective lift is, I really do believe is the way forward. That's, that's part of the reason I've been drawn to your work. I first learned about you and your work in some impact investing you're doing around Native American communities, Stephanie. And I'm under, I wonder if you might just talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Um, well, first I should I should uh, introduce uh, Taj James, um, who was the co-founder and co-led Movement Strategy Center for over 20 years, and Ruben Hernandez, who um, leads Dev Labs. Um, the three of us formed a new partnership called Full Spectrum Capital Partners. When I first got the opportunity to meet Taj James uh, several years ago, I asked him what the purpose of, of Movement Strategy Center was. And without hesitation, he said to build beloved community. And, and I, I really believe the work I love doing is, is bringing money in alignment of building beloved community. Uh, the work with the um, indigenous communities came about because we spend most of our time teaching corporations, foundations, wealthy individuals and families, how to align their money with their values. And we were really had the great fortune to, to help support a brother and sister, uh, uh, Kyle Reese and Bly Reese of the Reese Foundation through their impact investing journey. So I think of myself as an impact guide. And I love it that when the siblings are in just great harmony and the sister said, and, and so when somebody says to us, you know, we want to do impact investing, we have over a hundred tools across your governance or your philanthropy or direct investing in your public investments. And I'm always surprised at where people want to start their journey. And um, this brother and sister said, we want to do a loan to a nonprofit. And the sister said, I want to pick indigenous communities. And the brother said, I want to do First Nations Oista. He'd been at the Ford Foundation for over 25 years. Wow. And, um, and they said, we're thinking this grant and this loan. And I said, well, why don't we go ask them and see what they, they want first? And brother and sister are so lovely. They're like, of course, please drive on up there. Put us on Zoom. Um, let's, you know, explain full spectrum capital that the financial return of a grant is negative 100% and, and um, ask them what they need. And so we went up there and had this amazing experience with them and helped facilitate that investment and then invited them to be a part of uh, the work we've been doing in Colorado um, called Colorado Impact Days. And when that three-year pilot was over, several of the nonprofit lenders and, and, and CDFI said, would you keep helping us raise money? And, and so we did a kind of, instead of a statewide farmer's market or marketplace, we did a bodega. And that was the Colorado Main Street Lender. So we invited OISTA, the largest native CDFI, to participate in that. And then the wow. pandemic hit. Um, and so we had to put that on virtually. And then OISTA said, you know, we support 69 native CDFIs. Will you help create a marketplace and, and bring capital to OISTA? So the last thing I'll say about that is, if you don't know what a CDFI is, a community financial development institution, there are these amazing lenders in the US that serve areas of poverty. And, and OISTA is the largest native CDFI that has supported um, 69 native CDFIs over the last 25 years. And then prior to the pandemic, they'd lent $79 million into Indian country with one partial default of only $4,000. And last year, I'm super excited that we we supported them, and they actually raised thirty million dollars for Indian country. Whoa! So uh, you know, I usually ask this toward the end of my interviews, but I'm going to ask it at the front because we're we're covering a lot of really major stuff here. What is the best way to be in touch with you and Impact Finance Center for our our listeners? Yeah, the best way it's it's funny. You would actually think that uh, reaching me directly would be the easiest, smartest way to get in touch with us. But I, um, the best way to to get in touch with um, 
me and our team is send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at impactfinancecenter.org. And that actually goes to multiple people and who, who will be the, will help figure out who the best person is to respond to. Terrific. So it's info at impactfinancecenter.org, right? Yes. Great. Uh, so Stephanie, tell us a little, well, I want to hear about the evolution of impact investing, but before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Impact Finance Center, your, your baby, you created it, you've grown it, uh, you've got this ambitious goal of catalyzing $1 trillion in investment, um, but uh, give us the background on it, and then we'll talk about impact investing. Yeah, absolutely. I had this uh, long and windy, really uh, fun career that's kind of coming back together. Uh, my first part of my life, I was a wildlife ecologist, mathematical ecologist, and had my PhD in forest economics. And then I did a quick left-hand turn. And for the last uh, 20 years, I've been doing impact investing. For the last 10 years, though, I, I really asked myself a tough question after I'd gone from working at the Nature Conservancy, a private equity fund, um, a university foundation, and I was a professor at University of Colorado in finance, and I just took a step back and I said, why is it so difficult for amazing people to raise capital? And I came up with kind of three hypotheses. Uh, the first one is, where do people um, go to get their investor education when they want to invest in, say, an indigenous community? They go to Wall Street. Does Wall Street make money or lose money when you take money out of Wall Street, put it into Indian country? they potentially lose money. So the very people providing that investor education um, have a conflict of interest. And so the first piece was we need investor education that is aligned with the values of the person with the resources. So if they want to invest in Indian country, we'll show them how to do that. This so trustworthy, non-conflicted investor education. The second piece touches on what I said previously is this concept of full spectrum capital. Um, it's really fun. We're working with a lot of uh, large corporations now. And, and the way we look at a marketing dollar or an HR dollar or a grant dollar or R&D dollar or a corporate social responsibility dollar is it's a negative 100% loss, which makes it super exciting because when we coach the Walton Family Foundation to do a negative 50% return investment for $500,000 mm -hmm. to a for-profit sustainable seafood company, we can make the argument that that's an above market rate return of 50% to giving their money away. So we should have this negative 100% money and negative 99 and negative 98. And then the third piece is, it's one thing to realize we need trustworthy ed education and that we have this full spectrum of capital. Then we have to figure out how to go identify, educate and activate uh, those individuals and organizations to become impact investors. And they need T-ball like experiences which are small dollar amounts or simulations or uh, experiential education or really intensive coaching. So those are the three things that I tripped upon in 2010 to 12 when I was a professor at University of Colorado. And I quickly realized there was only 15 centers in impact investing in the, in the, in the US mm -hmm. um, teaching students how to do this versus hundreds if not thousands of entrepreneurship centers. And if we were really going to create a double-sided marketplace, we needed to make this education curriculum available to any student. And so I said, let's create a multi-university academic center. So in 2010 um, and 12, I was at University of Colorado and I left and bootstrapped um, uh, with my retirement and created my a nonprofit that is a multi-university non 
nonprofit academic center that is essentially an investor accelerator. We identify, mm -hmm. educate, and activate individuals and organizations to become impact investors. Wow. And uh, tell us what an impact investor is. It's a it's an often used term. It's I think sometimes it can mean many different things to different people. But what's your definition of an impact investor? Yeah, I think, you know, I keep it pretty simple, actually. I think of all of us care about most of us that would be a part of this conversation have donated to something. That means we believe in that person and that organization and what the what they're using those resources for. So it's essentially making the world a better place. And the devil is in the details when you start to look at the positive impacts and the negative impacts. Um, some companies might, um, you know, they provide jobs and they uh, support a little league baseball game or they do lots of positive things. And they also might pollute and they might use a non-renewable resource. Those are most, most of us personally and most companies do positive impacts and negative impacts. And what you're trying to do with impact investing is say, I wanna put my resources towards um, projects and nonprofits and small businesses and startups, funds and companies that on the whole have more positives than negatives. So I'm making the world a better place. Okay, so um, from what you're sharing and what I believe, one really needs to take the long view if you're doing impact investing. We're in a marketplace now that often is very short-sighted, I think, and I wonder if that's a, a, a word of caution you give to people who approach you to say this is a long well a do you agree with that concept that's a long view and b do you warn people or advise people to take the long view well i um I, being I, I now call myself a restoration ecologist in the financial markets so i'm bringing my first part of my career together with my last part of my career and when you look at ecological systems you definitely think generally long-term view and I'm really excited about the math we're doing. I think there are short-term opportunities easily in impact investing. Um, and the more we can take the long view, the better off we're gonna be. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there and, and answer the question that way. The, uh, can you give an example or two of what would be a short-term uh, impact invest? Absolutely. Um, so um, I'm working on this new math equation in my head. So hang with me. I haven't worked out all the details, but I, I essentially have this calculator, which you can download um, on our um, on our our website. And it essentially does the math of of averaging three numbers. Most of us can average two numbers just fine in our head. If I say, what's the average of 2% plus 4%, we'll say 3%. We'll say four plus two is six divided by two is three. Um, but what's super exciting is um, you and I, Toby, you and I both, almost every human being has really kind of three buckets of money at the very least. We, we give our money away. So let's say we donate $100 at negative 100%. We would lend a friend a dollar at $100 at 2%. And then we have our money that we want in the stock market at 6%, just mm -hmm. high level rough numbers. When you look at those $300, we separate them out, right? We give $100 over to this group, we lend mm -hmm. the $100 to this group, and we, we invest the $100 over here. Well, mm -hmm. when you look at those $300 collectively for over one year, the financial return on that is going to be negative um, 31% return. So you're going to invest those $300, and you're going to get back $208. And so you look at... Um, 
what's possible and say like, well, what if I didn't separate out that money? What if I actually kept those $300 together, like from an ecological system and mm-hmm. kept it whole? What would that look like? And you look at OWISTA, for example, the native CDFI, and, and I always ask organizations like, what type of capital do you need for every $100 that comes in the door? And they said, we need $25 of grants for every $75 of 2% loans we do, which means that when you look at that blended interest rate, they need a negative 24% return on $100, which sounds like, can you imagine walking down Wall Street and saying, I'm raising negative 24% money. However, when you look at that example I just did and said, what happens, Toby, if I don't send those 300, the $100 out to this group, that group, and it over here and keep them together? I can say, great, I'll get $100 at negative 100%. I'll increase your return from 2% to the friend to 10% for $100 for 10%, and I'll increase your stock market money from six to 18. That now gives me $300 I'm investing with a negative 24% return, which is the type of money a Wista needs. But instead of getting back $208, I'm now gonna get back $238. So uh, this is another reason why our listeners might wanna go to impactfinancecenter.org and download your calculator because you make it sound so easy, but some of us, myself included, are not so mathematically gifted. Um, do, you, do you find that those coming to you are prepared or do you do a lot of educating? Uh, well, we are the education business. And, and, I, you know, and, and so part of it is, you know, we simply have to ask, Toby, would you rather split your money up in three chunks and give away 300 bucks, invest 300 bucks and get back 208 and have, a third of it in some company you don't know what it's doing or would you rather have $300 put it into indigenous communities in the way they need it and wow you instead of getting back 208 you get back 238 yeah do the math right <laughs> ladies and gentlemen today on the caring economy we have Stephanie Gripney with us she is the founder and executive director of Impact Finance Center uh, Stephanie I wonder if you could talk a little bit about in your career the evolution of impact investing um, it's a fairly new concept, um, although preceded by philanthropy and other aspects of caring. Um, h- how do you see it having evolved and where do you see things heading? You know, it, that, I love that question also because I, I think of the first impact investors in the U.S., at least in the 17 and 1800s, the Mennonites and the Quakers, when they refused to put their money into uh, alcohol or tobacco or, or gaming. And, and then... I feel like there was another big chapter during apartheid in the 60s, and that also was led by the religious, um, the movement um, around um, racism and apartheid. And, and then you see this most recent chapter, which really I feel like is is exploding at a whole new level. And there's still, um, if you look at um, ICCR, the Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility, they're, they're clearly one of the most important shareholder action groups. And it's it's fun. I, I was told um, when I went to the first meeting there that there's this interesting kind of conservative liberal tension and because hospital administrators and people in healthcare tend to be more uh, financially conservative, but the nuns, they've, they've like left it on the, like their opportunity costs us nothing. What are you going to do? Take away their car or their house? And so like Sister Mary's been, you know, uh, working on the CEO of, of, uh, 
of Wells Fargo for 30 years. Wow. And so, so it's super, and the nuns are aging out and there's not really a bunch of nuns replacing them. But if you go to learn about that movement, it was the nuns that took those um, nonprofit hospitals when they were being converted to for-profit hospitals. And they negotiated in these hotel um, back rooms near airports to say like, you're gonna create these health foundations. So there's tons of these conversion health foundations that were created which were, you know, Sister Mary and Sister Nancy sitting in the back rooms and those, those hotels um, really you know, go into the map for the people. And so I think it's, um, I think it's really interesting that they've been the backbone of this work for hundreds of years. And, and now, yeah. um, now it's millennials. Now, I, I mean, I love my, when I was a professor at University of Colorado, um, I, I've, I've always wondered, like, why it's, you know, you have these aging grandparents who want to be connected to their grandkids. They're, they're kids that are now in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, and those kids were very much like, I got to make all my money. And then at the end, I'll give it away. Almost like a scarcity, Great Depression feeling like you got to hold on to it till the very end because you never know if you're going to lose it. But their kids are like, no, parents, nope, not going to happen that way. I need to be in alignment with my whole life. I don't want to go do this thing all day that doesn't make me feel good to and to only come home. And I want alignment with my my purpose, with my work and my job and my life and my family. So you've really seen that group of millennials kind of demand a different kind of way of living, which is living in alignment, which includes their money. I love that also that it allows for a transgenerational uh collaboration right because too often there isn't that connectivity and i think it's great when families can find common ground and work on a higher purpose together it makes them stronger as well as has that lasting impact that we've been talking about absolutely we have we have some incredible examples of some um, families doing that really hard work right now which is it really a joy and honor to be a part of Yeah, well, I'd love to have you come back sometime and share more on some of those examples. But uh, as a last question, Stephanie, uh, I wanted to ask you about any quick tips you might have for those who want to, you know, start to think about doing impact investing um, before they go to impactfinancecenter.org. Absolutely. Um, start with one step. And an uh, often easy step for you to do is look at your banking. And if you care about Indigenous go look up Native American bank. If you care about black communities, there's several amazing black banks or, or just um, rural communities, look up CDFI banks. So start with opening up a, a bank account in a CDFI bank or credit union is a first step. That's just taking that first step is the most difficult thing. And then the second thing is um, ask if your um, investment advisor is a fiduciary. And, and I'm, I'm sad to say this, um, but ask them to put it in writing and send them an, an email to you, may, may ensuring that, that your investment advisor is legally acting in your best interest. Um, we need to do a better job of understanding what the, uh, the forces on our investment advisor are and making sure that they're working for yourself and that your investment beliefs are aligned with your, your money. And that's a big two first two things you can do. Great advice. So uh, it was uh, the Wi-Fi connection was a little garbled there, but the main message I think is don't just assume that the advisor is following his or her fiduciary responsibility, but ask for it in writing. So. Yeah, and, and like I said, if you ask many people, they'll say yes. 
and and I, and and the, and they either don't know that they aren't or or didn't hear that question. So say send me that email. Just follow up and send me that email that 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 demonstrates that. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Stephanie Gripney for joining us today, the founder and executive director of Impact Finance Center. You can check her out and her colleagues at impactfinancecenter.org. Stephanie, please come back soon and tell us about your continuing successes. Thank you, Toby, for having me. It was a, it was a great way to start the day. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy, brought to you by Philanthropic Impact. If you'd like to add greater purpose to your business or your career, please follow us on Twitter at T. Usnick or on LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. We are at your service. Thank you for tuning in and have a great career.